Uh, we're, um, I'm sort of trying to conclude this series, but the, the reality is we never really conclude a series when we talk about the kingdom because it's always the whole life of the church. It's the whole life of Jesus' message, and uh, it's central to everything that we do. But I try, probably for this reason, this morning, just even the title of having a, a uh, kingdom culture, we'll probably hit pause on it. But everything is kingdom anyway, so we'll, uh, in one way we are continuing, and in one way we are concluding. So I probably shouldn't have said anything. But the reason why we're talking about a kingdom culture is that we want to learn how to surrender our entire lives to the rule and reign of King Jesus. That's basically what church is about. That's what being a follower of Jesus is about. It's, it's not having preference. It's learning actually to die to ourselves so that we surrender the whole of our lives to the rule and reign of King Jesus and give him our allegiance. And then because of that, the tricky part for the disciple or for the follower of Christ is then we've got to demonstrate that rule and reign through lives through our life, sorry, in our community, for the flourishing of everyone. So the kingdom is not just for us, it's actually for all of society. Uh, though the strange thing is that we're the only people who are called to connect ourselves to the, the culture of it, because you can't very well ask somebody who's not part of the kingdom to live the lifestyle of the kingdom. That would be totally unfair. And sometimes we do make that mistake as followers of Jesus. We think that all the people who are outside the kingdom, who don't hold our values, should be tied into our values. And all reality is that you're responsible for carrying the values of the kingdom, but you're also responsible for giving that away to those who are around us, whether that's in your work, whether that's on a bus, whether that's on a train, whether that's in a um, social setting. We're caused and called, our cause and call is to extend the kingdom, to surrender to the rule and reign, and then to give it away so that society can flourish. And really, if we live our lives according to the kingdom, if we lived our lives as if Jesus was in charge, that he was actually here on the earth, then society would be a whole lot more healthier. So last week we talked about healing. And I just want to say, uh, I'm really, really, I was just astounded by your risk and your courage to invite people to come to Geller last week and to get prayer for. Uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking the risk. Thank you for calling your friends, for emailing, texting, tweeting, whatever you do to connect with people and inviting them to that. So, we're going to need one of these this morning. So if you have a Bible, yeah, open it. If you have it on your phone, a tablet, go for it. If you need one, there's some here at the front. They're absolutely free. If you don't have one at home, don't feel like you want to leave it back. Just take it home with you and, uh, and read it that. So, while you're there, if you're using one of these here this morning, it's page 802 is where we're heading. Uh, but for the rest of us, it's 2 Corinthians 8 if you want to find out where that is. So this morning, um, yeah, as I say... The series is, or has been, Kingdom Culture. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. What is it, I wonder what it is that you care about more than anything else in life? Seriously, what is it that you care about more than anything else in your life? So you may have guessed what I'm going to talk about this morning. And you're probably saying, I'm glad I didn't invite anybody this week. I'm glad I invited them last week. Because what I want to talk about today is this one word that makes us uncomfortable at times, and it's called, anybody want to guess? Money. Money. So now if you are a guest, I'm aware that you, we are now confirming every, every stereotype about church, right? I'm aware of that, that, I'm, that we are just confirming the stereotype about church, that all churches and all Christians ever talk about is money. But that's not actually true. You'll find that maybe if you've been around here a long time or maybe in the last few months, we've seldom mentioned money only when we're taking 
our offering is that time that it's used. But the reason we do that, if you're wondering why a lot of churches do that, and you're wondering why we're talking about it this morning, is, is that really and truly, we're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this rabbi at the age of 30 years of age, began his ministry here on the earth. We're trying to follow this prophet, Messiah, rabbi, called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the truth is, I don't know if you'd have liked him talking all the time. I don't know if we'd really put up with his conversations. Here's the gig. 42% of parables, parables are, are explanation of the kingdom. 42% of them, that's quite a high percentage. He talks about money. In fact, Jesus, when he wants to grab your attention, when he actually, like bigger matters of the heart, when he talks about forgiveness, do you know what he talks about in forgiveness? One of the main things to talk about forgiveness is he uses money. The other thing that when Jesus talks about um, our gifts and our talents and the things that God has provided for us, the charisma, his gift, when he talks about that, he talks about money. So he talks about it quite a lot of the time. There are five hundred verses in the entire scripture about prayer. Who thinks prayer is important? Great. There are slightly less than 500 verses about faith. Who thinks faith is important? Without faith it's impossible to please God. So put your hand in the air. You don't have an option in that one. Let me ask you that one again. Who thinks faith is important? There you go. Do you know how often he talks about this thing about our stuff and our money? He talks about it 2,000 times. Roughly. Now somebody's going to come and Google it and say, well, actually, Jason, that's not true. He talks about it 2,003 times. Or he talks about it 1,100 or whatever. My math's bad. He talks about it quite a bit. And so the reason why, you know the reason why, because he wants to talk about the things that are close to our hearts. He knows that the closest thing to our hearts is our money and our stuff. And no, no more so true than this 21st century that we find ourselves. So can I ask you for a moment to pay attention to your emotions right now? Don't answer the question, but I wonder... How many of you are deeply uncomfortable? How many of you are deeply uncomfortable? You don't sit on your hands, do whatever you need to do, don't give it away, no eye contact. Uh, you know, I, I have a very bad habit, and I don't do it on purpose, but, and Michelle always, sometimes she'll mention it to me, she'll, she'll bring it up from time to time. Uh, when, when people tell me they, they've got something new, my automatic question is, I don't ask them what color it is or, or anything else, I just say, how much is that? And it's really awkward. And people lie to me and they talk about everything. They'll say like, oh look, a squirrel. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Because it's, it's, so, it's so much. In, and then for others of us, do you know what, have you ever paid somebody a compliment on something that they got new? Like somebody's got a new car or a new coat or a new bag. Um, you see where my head goes from car to bag, because I'm more the bag than the car guy. But do you know, do you know what I'm saying? And you say to them, and, and sometimes, they, they, all of a sudden they've got this apologetic need to tell you that, well, I got it in TK Maxx. It was £598, but I got it for 8 Because here's the gig, you don't want to tell me what you really paid for the thing that you, you really love, but you're very quick to tell me the thing that was £598, it's now down to £8, because there's this emotional connection with this thing called stuff and money. And for goodness sake, this is why Jesus wants to talk about it to his followers. He, he goes there not to just get your money, that's not the story, he goes to get your heart. He goes to get your heart. 
You see, you're never more like God when you're being generous. Why? Because God is the most generous being in the entire cosmos. For God's loved the world that he didn't give his stuff. Actually, he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son to the entire population. For those that were born and those that were to be born for us today that are sitting here around the presence of Jesus Christ. And spiritual maturity is actually about being formed in his likeness. You see, the spiritual maturity that we go for, it makes sense when we tie it to generosity. I think if you don't tie it to generosity, sometimes it's hard to distinguish spiritual maturity because here's what happens in our culture. And I'm just going to go for all the things um, that we're talking about this morning, um, all the things that are top of our head. Guys, can I, just at the back row, can I have your attention? Because I get really extracted, distracted, abstracted, distracted. But please, if you're having a conversation, keep it down. Um, what I was going to say is that spiritual maturity is, is formed around the likeness of Jesus Christ. But what happens in our culture quite a bit is like we, we, we try to put everything else into spiritual maturity because we want to try and keep it so, sort of distant. So, so in Northern Ireland, a classic one would be, you know, to, be, to, be, to measure spiritual maturity would be on your morality. How good a person is. So if somebody's really spiritual mature, they're a really good person. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's a great way to, to... Have you ever met anybody that's actually... like? Let's, let's be really truthful. That just, it's, it's better being good than you are and you, and you know Jesus and they don't know Jesus. Have you ever found that? Yeah? Like Lexi. Everybody know Lexi? Of course you don't. Lexi lived two doors up from us. One, three, eight, like courts. We used to call him sexy Lexi. Lexi was really cool. Like, and you can picture it 1970s in Lincoln Courts in Derry. Lexi used to work in DuPont, right? And he used to drive his car. And Lexi would get out of his car in Lincoln Courts in Derry with a shotgun over his shoulder. I used to think that was really cool. Now, for some of you, that won't make any sense at all. But let me just put it into context. Lexi was probably the only guy in our state that had a legal gun. And there was probably other people that had guns, but they weren't quite legal. But Lexi used to shoot pheasants. But Lexi was the sort of guy everybody went to. So if you needed some electrical work done, two doors up, sometimes I went up, knocked the door and said, is Lexi in? And Lexi come to the door and say, all right, son. But he used to always say, how are you, girls? And stuff like that, just to really confuse you and make you feel embarrassed. And you would say something to this, Lexi, our lights are not working. My dad said, would you come down and fix them? And sure as heck, sure as eggs are eggs, Lexi would come down and fix them. So to, to measure spiritual maturity, not goodness maturity, but spiritual maturity, Sometimes morality doesn't work even, and sometimes goodness doesn't even work, because we can always get better, people better that are being people good, better than us. Does that make sense? No. You know what I'm saying. See, one of the dangers of, we are, we are I think we're a pretty generous church, would you agree? Yeah. We're, thank you. We're a pretty generous church. Uh, we're very generous in our community. And uh, I, I think that that's, that's a good thing. Our reputation precedes us. People would say this, you're a generous church. In fact, one time when we were trying to figure out who we were and when we were growing up a little bit within the 15-year span of doing church here, um, what would happen is that we were trying to figure out who we were. Some, that's what happens with church leaders. They, they talk about vision and mission statements, but they're just trying to grow up. They're just trying to figure out who they are. And as we were trying to figure out who we were, we went to, we went to those who weren't in the church and we said, who do you think we are? Because it's one thing to say something about yourself, but it's, it's something else to have somebody say something about you. Isn't that right? 
You know, I could say, like, hey, we're a church of 2,000 people here in, the, in, in southern Tyrone, in Northern Ireland. We have a, you know, a whatever. But it wouldn't be true, right? So it's good to get facts for your friends. So I said to the council and people that were connected to us, people who were friends of us, people who had faith and no faith, people connected to us, I said, what would you say about the vineyard? The number one answer that people gave to us about Vineyard Church on Gannon was that we were generous people. The other thing they said is when you ask them to do something, they do it and they show up. I think that's pretty cool. But here's, here's, a, here's some pastoral uh, advice I want to give you, some pastoral leadership. It, it's kind of dangerous. On the one hand, it's also dangerous to be part of a generous community. Uh, by association and not action. And that's not what God has for us. Do you know what I'm saying about that? Because sometimes we can get just tied to the association that we were a generous church and we are a generous church. But sometimes we can just buy into being connected to that by association. But not in action. It means that's what it really means. Can I just talk really, really plainly for you today? It means that we could have a single mother in our church who outrageously is generous and gives more uh, than some people who are not single parent or mother. And some people are just, and then we all buy into that, that we are a generous church. But really, in fact, we're not really that all that generous. We need to be, if you're doing it, we're doing it. If we're doing it, you're doing it. That's what I'm trying to say is that it's not about how much we give. It's just having the heart of that, that we actually truly are a compassionate and generous community. Generosity is it's why Jesus talks about it then, and there, I used to say it was countercultural, but it's always been countercultural because human beings are actually, we, we're all inward when we think about our stuff. At least I am. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I, it's my birthday coming up soon. 5th of December, in case you wonder. Uh, probably, uh, I wear a small, but exhale's comfortable if you're thinking of buying anything. I, I, I do think about myself quite a bit. You'd be surprised. No comment. I used to think it was counterculture, but if all through the ages, humanity always thinks about itself. We all do. It's just how we're wired. It's how sometimes we, just, we, we can tend to go into ourselves very quickly and think about ourselves. But when we grow in the kingdom of God, we are, we're changed by the culture around us. We, we move from scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. The culture that we live in today, and of course, how culture has always lived, is that we, we live with this narrative for this story that, that you're not enough. I'm not enough. Does anybody ever feel like that in your workplace, in your, in your family setting, in your friendships, and being a parent, being a good friend? You know, do you ever get down on yourself and, and you just think, I'm not, I'm not enough. I'm just, I'm just really not, I'm just not enough. You know, you, you're worthless. And, and sometimes a good old Northern Ireland beat yourself up gospel hasn't been really helpful in that situation either. You know, you're just a worthless sinner. And in fact, Jesus never uttered those words. You know, Jesus loves you and he, he has compassion on you and he treats you like a son and daughter. He doesn't look at you as if you're a worm or you're a worthless sinner. He actually looks at you as a son and daughter in compassion. And so the culture, the narrative has always been, I'm not enough. You're not being enough. You know, you're a rubbish son, daughter. You're, you know, you don't go and see your, your mum enough. I'm just having a conversation with me. And then what happens then, it leads to the second thing, is that you don't have enough. Because if you have the concept that you're not enough, then the, 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 the co correlation that leads into that is that you don't have enough either. So you get self 
focused and self-absorbed and you're not enough. And then it actually leads to you not having enough. And, 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 and this is beyond money. This is talking about emotions. This is talking about love for yourself. This is talking about forgiveness to yourself. You understand what I'm saying here? You, that you're, you don't have enough. I'm not just talking about money and stuff, but it actually leads to that too. When we are not enough, then we don't have enough and we start to loathe ourselves. And then we start to get in the crazy cycle. And, and guys, by the way, this is more to do with, you know, than, than, than thinking about people who have nice cars and nice clothes. There's, there's all their stuff that, that just run our lives. We just run in different lanes. And then we, what, what we tend to do is judge the person in the other lane. We always, you know, the person that buys the nice clothes, but you could have a shed full of tools that have cost an absolute fortune. And we, and we sometimes get a little judgmental about things like that. We just look at the person in the other lane and say, well, you know what, I don't buy clothes and I don't have a fancy car, but hey, we all have stuff. We all have stuff. And when, we, when we're not enough, then we don't have enough. So Jesus told parables. He talked about money and stuff. And one time he talked about a parable. And the parable is not just some moral story. But it's actually a, an explanation of the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of King Jesus here on earth. Does anybody remember this one that he talked about? There's like, it's just a weird story. So with the context of the story that Jesus talks about. How's your emotions at this time actually? Are you still okay? Anybody bored? Has anybody counted these bulbs? No? You still with me? Great. Great. So he tells a story one time, and the context of the story, some of the content in it, he talks about, does anybody remember it? Let me give you a clue, and then you can tell me if you remember it or not. Ravens. He talks about birds, but it's actually ravens. Flowers and anxiety. Does anybody know that story? Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. And then he tells us to look. The birds of the sky and the flowers of the fields. Are you with me? So I'm still talking about the discipleship. I'm still talking about comparison. I'm still talking about I'm not enough and I don't have enough. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying Jesus conceives of the universe. And this sort of flips my mind because I could give you an excuse to argue against what Jesus says here. At least just me, I could argue with Jesus. Jesus conceives of the universe that he's living in as a place that should free us from anxiety. That's what he's doing. He's saying to you, look at birds, look at fields, and don't be anxious. He's, getting, he's changing our mindset. Remember, repent and believe. You change the way that you think, and your mindset changes at the same time, you, and then you're open to God's possibilities. He's saying, Jesus is saying this, it's a place that's stable. Do you believe that? And I'm like, Jesus, are you... Have you Obviously, you've written this thousands of years ago. But the world was screwed up thousands of years ago it is, as it is today. As it is today. Jesus is saying the world's a stable place. And why he's saying that? Because he's saying it's a place where we are being hosted by a generous father. So he's looking at the landscape. He's looking at the birds and he's looking at the flowers. And he's telling us be anxious for nothing. And what he's actually saying is that this universe that you're being hosted in it's because of a generous father. Now maybe your view of the universe today is slightly different. Maybe your view of the universe is actually it's dog eat dog. That it's, if it's got to be, then it's up to me. Then it's just, it's dog eat dog out there. And so I'm not really interested. I see flowers dying and I see birds squashed in the roads because of cars. And maybe that's your mindset this morning. But Jesus looks and he sees abundance. And he sees the one who loves us as opposed to there's not enough for everyone. So store up and make your own way in this world. Are you with me? 
His thinking is different. How he views the world is different. Jesus actually looks at the planet. He looks at the universe as a stable place, as a place of abundance and a place of a generous that we're living under the auspice and under the hosting of God the Father, this Genesis God, the God of the garden, who is so generous to us that he changes the way that we think. Because there is enough for everybody. It's just that man has the concept that there's not enough and there won't be enough. And what he does and she does is they store enough up for themselves and they get really greedy. And then what happens is other people do suffer. Are you with me? Do you ever go to the cinema and you buy sweets for yourself? Well, actually, you don't buy sweets for yourself. You buy sweets, but then you've, you've come along with somebody else. And they don't bring the sweets or buy the sweets, but they're happy to share your sweets. Have you ever done this? Is this just me? And have you ever given a sweet, but with the thinking and the concept that you're holding on a wee bit to the sort of three quarters of the bag up? No, just me. Because you're given with the mindset that, yes, I'm going to give you a sweet, but I'm going to make sure there's enough for me. Do you? No. You're awful good people. This is a good talk for me this morning. All right, cuts both ways. That's how we live our lives actually a lot of time, that we give from this perception of abundance and scarcity that it's the Christian mindset we need to move from a scarcity thinking to an abundance thinking that God is the God of the universe, that there's enough for everybody, and that he looks and he sees and he cares for you. If he cares for birds in the sky and flowers in the field, if he cares for creation, then he cares for you. And we need to change the way that we think. And regardless of how other people live, we are the people that are called in the kingdom to live the values of the kingdom. Again, we can't put the values of the kingdom on other people but in this one it's a really good value if other people should take it on board but for us as people of the kingdom we need to live with an abundance mindset let me bring it really spiritual okay let's let me get it out of the money because that's maybe uncomfortable for us but do you ever see somebody who's just become a christian i'm going to pick on ali murray because he just annoys me sometimes he annoys a lot of people by the way is he here He's just been a Christian like two years and he's like doing stuff. You know, like he's like, like he's been around here forever. You know what I mean? Like, he hasn't gone through the suffering that I've gone through. My knees are all praying for you all. And, and he comes up, but you know, when I, in all seriousness, when I look at Ali, I think, ah, just give him more. Just bless him more. Just take him into more risk. Take him into more stuff. Give him more leadership. Give him more jobs. God, give him a whole pile of stuff. Give him the stuff I don't want to do. God, make him talk to the person I don't want to talk to. About. Because I have a mindset that God is way, 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 way more for me still. That if I bless somebody, I'm not being robbed. Are you with me? You're not going to get robbed. Here's the greatest threat to our discipleship is putting our trust in money and wealth and possessions. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 11. He talked about mammon. It's more of a spiritual connotation. He's not just talking about pounds and pence. Or he's talking about mammon, the spirit of it. The, the greatest threat to your discipleship, let me say it for you, because we all get weird and wacky in Christian living. I would say that the greatest threat to discipleship in the 21st century, you can quote me if you want, is not secularism. It's not sexual. Have to, I wrote this word down and I don't know if it is a word, but let me go for it. It's called sexual liberalism. Is there such a word? There is now. Feel free to use it. It's not the threat of sexual liberalism. It's not politics. It's not Brexit. It's not remain or go. It's 
It's for the follower of Jesus Christ, actually, it's your trust and wealth and possessions. It's your, you, you know, whatever's happening in society around you, in a, <clears throat> in a way it does affect our lives. So I'm not minimizing things, but I want to say that the real threat that I see in the 21st century, in a consumer-riddled society where our mindset is scarcity and we don't have that, that we're living under the host of generosity, when we live in such a way that, that we're just, we just live in fear. We live in fear. And so the discipleship, the moral principle is that our life should be a one of abundance and generosity at the same time. So let me give you a disclaimer. And then I'm going to go turn to the description. I'm going to give you three quick points. And then we're going to eat and have a good time. You up for that? Let me just make a disclaimer. Because money and possessions can be enjoyed all at the same time. And generosity. Um, I used to have this thinking that, you know, this abundance and this scarcity thing. I used to think that to be a real holy person, to be a real good Christian, that, you know, when it comes to money and stuff, it's just give it all away. Just, just get rid of it because it's, it's dirty and it's, it, you know. But that's just silly. Because God has called us to be stewards of the kingdom. And he's actually called us to, to think about it. I, I love, well, let me, let me give it this way because you'll probably remember this easier than me going around a circle here and trying to give you a great explanation. One of my heroes of the faith is a man called John Wesley. Anybody heard of John Wesley? started uh, uh, a movement called the Methodists. And he was a phenomenal man. Wesley says, earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. I'm thinking, really? Can you do that? Yeah, you can. That's totally biblical. Stewardship is not about getting rid of all your money. Stewardship is about having a wisdom, having a generosity of spirit so that you can actually sustain and be a generous people. That's why Wesley was very smart. He says, earn as much as you can, people. It's not bad to earn money. He said, save all you can, people. And then they also said, give all you can. What Wesley was talking about was stewardship. And so it's possible to earn, to save, and to give all at the same time. And be okay with having stuff, people. Are you with me? It's okay to have stuff. It's just what you do with your stuff. If you've got a car and somebody's looking to lift, give them a lift. It's what it's used for. It's a fakel for going places, to take you places and people places. You know what? If you've got a house, I would love a bigger living room. I'm just being honest with you. Because sometimes it's just too small when we have people around. Just so, do I have a problem with people in big houses? No. Do I have a problem with people in big houses that just live in the big house all by themselves? Sort of, yeah. It's not about having stuff. It's what you do with this stuff. Enjoy it. You know, Paul said to Timothy, his young mentor, a young guy who was church planting. Paul was a big wig in the New Testament, wrote a lot of letters to churches. And we're going to read about him in just a second. But Paul said to Timothy, you know what? Enjoy your stuff. He actually says riches are a blessing. And then he just said, just, Timothy, just work out what you're doing with it. Just work out what you're doing with it. So it's not about, God has not given this poverty mindset. That's not the Christian life, that we remain poor and broke. That's actually a curse. So you can have stuff and none of the stuff. Actually, let me say it this way. You can have stuff and none of the stuff has you. But you can also be a person that has no stuff and are just consumed by wanting stuff and needing stuff. So, are you with me? Does that make sense? So stuff's not the, the issue. It's actually how we, we go about it. Okay, page 803 in your black book here, the wee paperback one. And whatever page or whatever you do with your Bible stuff, you can swipe, do whatever. I'm going to need to go really, really fast. Are we doing okay? When's my birthday? 
December's a long month, Diggy. It's 5th of December. I'll, I'll be out on the 5th of December if you're leaving anything around. 6th of December, the garage door's always open too. This is just online. My wee Facebook could go missing. Not that I'm into stuff. <laughs> but she'll not go missing at the minute because she's not working and there's a boy down there on the right hand side still has to come back with a part. So, just saying. You can get a lot in the Sunday morning. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Not church. Local churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Didn't they to Jason Scott up the front? They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us, God and people. little context here. The church in Jerusalem had a pretty intense time. They were going through persecution. And they'd been left destitute. And they really felt they were all alone. And they needed some financial help and support of the other churches. And over the previous year, there was a church in Corinth that Paul's now writing. He writes two letters to this church. The first letter he writes to the church is he's trying to get them to to sort out a few problems. The second letter, he said, I've addressed those problems, but we've still got a situation here at hand. And what has happened here is that the first church to respond to the need was the church in Corinth. But while they responded, and while they said, we're in, a time later they said, you know, actually, we're not, no longer buying into this. I know we committed to giving, but we're no longer going to do it. And hey guys, you couldn't blame them, because Jerusalem wasn't the only church that was persecuted. Corinth was also, to be a follower of Jesus Christ in that time, anywhere around this area at all, you were persecuted. Okay? You weren't rocking up that hill on a Sunday morning to come in here and sit comfortably in a chair. You were persecuted. And so you could understand, you know what, well, Paul, yeah, yeah, I get that, but things are tight here too, you know. I know things are going on in Jerusalem, but you know what, Dungannon's getting there kind of hard too. And so therefore, we're backing out. So Paul's encouraging them in the faith to actually stick to what they said they would do. And so for any of you who are familiar with Paul's writing, you could easily assume that his approach to this situation would be swift and pretty direct rebuke. Paul is a kind of guy like he just, I don't know if it's a culture or whether it's just, he's just so focused, but he doesn't mince his words. When he talks, well, you read 1 Corinthians, you read Galatians. When he's talking about his situation, he goes straight to it and he uses a lot of language to get to where he wants to be. So he's direct and he's swift. And so in this moment, I would have pretty, if I've never read this before and I've read the other books, letters that Paul wrote, but hadn't read Second Corinthians and you said to me, Paul's going to address a, a problem and here's the situation, I would have thought, oh, this is not going to be good. But he's, he's so aware that when it comes to money and stuff, that motivating people out of guilt, Works for a moment, but there's no, there's no momentum in it. Did you, do you find that? You find that in religion. Religion that's guilt-driven doesn't work. It doesn't work. And we've seen it in our culture. It doesn't matter what your denomination is. And we can be just as bad here in the vineyard. We could guilt you into things. I hope that we don't. But we could all, be, we all could be tempted to say that guilt works. 
Works for a moment, yeah, but there's no momentum in it. Paul knows that. So Paul uses an example of another church, and he frames their outrageous generosity as a work of grace. First one. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about what? Money? Stuff? What does he say? About the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's interesting. Note that one. So when it comes to giving, I think there's three levels. I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to pack up. The first and most, first and most basic level is given because of need. This is the simplest and most basic of generosity. Has anybody ever done that? You give out of need, right? When we hear about something, we see something in our town, we see something in somebody's life, and we go, we get around that, and, uh, and we try and do stuff, right? If you've been here any length of time at all, you'll soon find out that's what we do in the vineyard. If we hear of a need, we try and meet the need as often and as quick as we can. I remember, because we're getting close to, you know what? Well, I was just thinking Christmas, but hey, you're way more <laughs> outward-focused than me. But yeah, outward-focused Christmas. So I remember one outward-focused Christmas. We, had, we came into contact with a family, and it wasn't just, there was just one family, and it was a, it's a story that I'll never forget, okay? It was, we asked this family, what could we do for you? So they came to a need, and they, came, they used to get some food off us, and we said, it's Christmas time, is there anything you'd need? So the mother went to her son, and the teenage boy, he was asked, what did he need? What did you think a teenage boy asked for at Christmas? What's the teenage boys ask for? Come on. An Xbox. Eh? A laptop, yeah. Mobile phone. Fancy clothes. What? Hey? Somebody said a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you what this kid asked for. He asked for a new pair of school trousers. Because he only had one. And the ones that he had, because he had no other trousers or no jeans or nothing else, he only had one pair of trousers. So that meant he wore the trousers to school and the trousers after school. And so he thought if he had a new pair of school trousers, he could wear the old school trousers out in the evening. And so we heard about this as a church and staff. We talked about it in the staff room on a Monday morning. We thought, you know what, the heck with this. We're not getting them trousers. We'll get them trousers and jeans. And you know what? We'll get them a PlayStation too. And we did. And I know, did he need the PlayStation? It's amazing the wisdom we get, isn't it? It's amazing, incredible how much wisdom we gain when it comes to other people receiving and having stuff. I'm quite good at that. I have a lot of wisdom for other people getting stuff. This is not arrogance, error, or obedience, but if I told you every story of what happens here between a Monday and a Sunday when people hear of a need and give to a need, there wouldn't be enough time to tell the story. And I know that one of the things that you guys miss is the stories around compassion. But can I just tell you, given the hours that Sharon has, the need that is out there and the time that we have on, this, on a Sunday morning, if we were to tell you story after story after story, we'd never be done. You have to trust that we're still generous people and, that, and I trust and, and I know you guys that when you see a need, you meet a need. And that's one of the basic ways of giving. It's actually important and basic um, way for generosity. Are you with me? So you see a need, you meet a need, and that's generous. The second thing is vision. 
The second form of generosity is given because of vision. It's the next level up from need. When we're captured by suffering of the future, when we want to paint a better picture for somebody's future, for a community, for a family, for a situation, then what happens is that we, we start to use our resources and our time and we start to create a better future for people. Does that make sense? That's what vision does for people. Think OFC. Again, think OFC. It's been, uh, you know the Facebook memory thing? Yep, the Facebook memory thing. No. Okay, well, well it's just, it's very complicated. You have memories on Facebook, so, all right, that, that happened years ago. So ours popped up 11 years ago since we opened this place downstairs. Here's, can we get some of the pictures of it? It was in November time. We had, we opened this place up. And so what happened is that we had a vision here for, for more space. But it wasn't just more space for, um, for us to have more worship time. But it was actually, we up in Ruth's age, doesn't she? Um, <laughs> is she here? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, but what, what happened, OFC, and um, what happens at OFC and give a day to Dungannon, it's because, frankly, well, let me talk about uh, this thing called legacy. We, this is a thing called legacy where about 80 of us gathered together, and we thought, you know what, we had a report about Dungannon, that Dungannon was the worst, uh, Dungannon and Derry, there you go, uh, was worse for child poverty in the whole of the north of Ireland. Whole of Northern Ireland. We were the worst. So we responded to that. And then we started to cast this vision. There was eight of us, including children. And uh, we had a vision for a better future. We called it Legacy. And it was all about women and children and the stranger. And so what we did is we, we said, let's sacrifice. Let's give this vision. We pulled all our money together. We talked about it. We fasted. We created some vision. And then after four weeks of gathering together for Sunday mornings, and some of you weren't even here, we gathered £180,000 here at Vineyard Church Dungannon. And a lot of that money went to India. A lot of money helped to welcome the strangers and helped to set up our compassion program to feed people. And, and it absolutely was just a brilliant, brilliant time. And, and to be honest, if it wasn't for legacy, I don't know if we would be sitting here today. And so some of you are benefiting from the blessing and the generosity of other people. So that's what vision does. Vision creates something. It sees something and it says, you know what, that's a bad future. That's going to be, when we sat down and we thought about child poverty in Dungannon, well, if there's child poverty in Dungannon, as sure as eggs are eggs, you're going to be connected to somebody who has a child living in poverty because we're a small town, right? This is not rocket science, people. So what we did is we created stuff and we said, let's make it a better future. And I think, I think because of your generosity and our obedience that this town is a little bit better today because we're here. I'm just saying. So we give, we give because of vision, and that's the next level up. You give out of need, and that's equally important. But my experience in church is that we can get stuck in these two stages. We give when, we're, when we see need and when there's a vision. There's a new project, a new ministry, an opportunity, something like that, which is great, absolutely brilliant. Now listen, both, we, we, listen, we need both these. We need vision, and we need need, and we need to give to those. We need things to keep our hearts healthy, is what I'm saying. It's really important, and there's nothing different about those and how we think about the rest of our giving. But here's the thing. If I can have grace to say this, and I'm talking about failures of the kingdom, how we live and surrender on the rule of Christ Jesus, 
Sometimes when it comes to need and to giving to vision, we're not any different from the rest of culture or society. Because we just do what everybody else is doing. But I have a hunch that when Paul's writing to these people, he's sending them something a little different. Loads of people all over the world who have, great, have no interest at all in Jesus Christ give to need and give to vision. So is there anything different going on in the church? Well, yes, there is. There's a third level. I'll finish with this. There's a third level of generosity. Again, verse 1. Or sorry, Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Level 1, we give because of need. Level 2, we give out of vision. But level 3, we give out of grace. 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 Given because of grace, we give not because of, of a need or because of a vision, but because of what God has done for us. See, if God gets your heart, then your heart should catch up with his heart. And his heart is generous and compassionate. He is the most generous host of this universe and this cosmos. Who remembers a wee guy called Zacchaeus? A wee little man was he. He lived up in a tree. But he didn't really. But the rhymes. So Zacchaeus was just like, we think of Zacchaeus, and it's a wee cute song, and we, did, we learn it when we're kids, and, and but actually Zacchaeus was the most despised man in his community. And sometimes we want to wrap a little domestic stuff around Bible and, and, and try and make it look nice and tidy. But man, when you're thinking Zacchaeus, you need to think somebody like, you need to think on somebody in the far right, fascist, racist, that's what it's like in that culture. Are you with me? So we're not just talking about somebody who's taking a wee bit, bit of money and he's a wee small man that lives in a tree to see Jesus. Think far right fascist, racist, and then think about bringing them to your house for dinner. It's Bible. Sorry. So what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus' heart has been changed. He has a reaction to the, to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jewish rabbi, and what does he do? He, because of his grace, because of his, what he receives from God, the welcome, his reaction is to give half of his possessions and pay everyone, but he cheated them back. Now, he just doesn't pay them back even for, even. it's not even Stevens, as they say. It's four times more. That's what the Bible says that he cheated them out of. How are you with that? Are you seeing it? That there's a grace thing? That this is not a need thing. This is not a vision thing. For Zacchaeus, he's caught something. Generosity. That's a work of grace. This is why in the church of Acts they give everything. It was logical response. When they understood God had given everything to them, then listen, Vineyard Church Dungan, our accounts have to be the story of God living among us. Let me say that again to you. Let me get down your level. When you look at our accounts, and you're very free to look at our accounts, by the way, if you give. But when you give to Vineyard Church Dungan and you should look at our accounts, and our accounts should look like God is present among us. That God has walked into the room. That God is part of our community. That we are part of a family that gives to God. When you look at that, there should be a correlation of the story of God weaved into all that we do. Given to the poor. Jeans and trousers and Xbox. There should be a correlation of the story of God. Sending people to teach and educate people in Uganda. Opening doors, serving coffee, and, and buying cake, and, and, and all that stuff. It should be the story of God. It should be a story of welcome. It should be a story of God changing our hearts and our lives. Are you with me? 
So here's something that I'd, this is just, sometimes the Bible doesn't make sense. I know I'm a preacher and a pastor and I'm saying that. But you ever read it and you think, well, those words don't go together. They shouldn't be in the same sentence. Anybody ever read that? Let me give you an example. You doing okay? In the midst of a severe trial, you with me? In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. No. Does not make sense. Should not be in the same, should, those words shouldn't be in the same sense. I don't think Paul's got it right. Has he? In the midst of severe trial, joy. In extreme poverty, rich generosity. Are you with me? The logical thought in the midst of severe trial, they called out, this is how I outright it, they called out, come on God, have you forgotten about us? Would that make sense? No? You're so holy. You're so holy. Should that not make sense, people? In the midst of severe trial, persecution, being branded with this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and because you're branded with Jesus Christ, because that's the brand, the brand is Jesus Christ, right? Because we're branded by Jesus Christ, then life is hard. But no, that's not what... Who has joy in trials? Some of you, not all of us. How does poverty result in generosity? I'll tell you, because of grace in action. Because it's grace, it's the grace of God in action. The more we are formed into the way of Jesus, the more the story of God unfolds in our lives, the more we can't help but respond by giving back to God. See, money flows from vision, yeah. And it flows when there's need. But ultimately, it flows from grace. It's a time for the dam to burst and for the river of generosity flow here in the vineyard. Um, no, no apologies. I talk a lot about my, my dad. He was warm and generous. He never led a church, but he was known for generosity. He was known for impulsively giving away even when we had things tight as a family. And we had things tight as a family. Do you remember... Back in the 80s, you had two lines for dinner tickets, free meals, and paid meals. Anybody ever go to school like that? I was in the free meals line. How degrading is that? Huh? Where we actually separated children into those who had and those who had not, so they could get fed for five days. But as a smart dairy man, I sold my tickets. So I worked it out five tickets. Say you're paying, um, Rodney, it's 80p for your dinner in those days. Well, I cut them to half price. 40p a ticket. All right. So I sold me five tickets, tickets, money, money in my pocket. The person buying them was happy. He had a few pence extra. The parents gave him, never let on to the parents. And I sold my dinner tickets. Went out to the shop at dinner time down to Irish Street, down to the shop. Here's what I got for 40p, a tip top. Not only did I get a tip-top, I got a Mars bar. A tip-top on a Mars bar. And listen, a single cigarette. For 40p, I got a tip-top, a Mars bar, and a single cigarette. All that to say, 
We didn't always get it easy, but I came from a family that even though things were tight, because of the grace of God that was in our family, we knew that the best response in any situation, whether we had or had not, was to be a generous family and to give to the house of God and to the people of God. And for the last 15 years, we have been teaching on tithing. And I need to get better. We've said it together. We've said that the minimum is 10% of our income to God. And I know the big, every time we're teaching us, the big argument is that in the New Testament, Jesus says very little about tithing, about 10%. And you know what? You'd be absolutely right. You would be absolutely right. New Testament given would scare the life out of you. Would scare you. It scares me. Do you know when it comes to New Testament giving? I, I quite, I'm comfortable with the 10% thing, by the way. And a bit more. But if you want to go into the New Testament, people say, let's become a New Testament church. And I'm thinking, really? You want to go there? New Testament church, you know what they did? They didn't give 10%. It included houses, land, and property. So how many of you are up for selling your house today? I'm bringing it in for OFC. No? I know you're embarrassed. It's a TK Maxx thing again. But do talk to me straight after this celebration. No, we don't want to go there. I received emails saying, you know, well, I give to other charities. I give to, I give to online ministers, people on the TV screen. Seriously. Well, I don't get it. I don't get it. You, you, generosity is not sporadic giving. It's not given to TV people. It's actually given to the family that you're connected with. Where you take a seat and we gather together and we go through our pain and we go through our victories and we go through all the stuff together and we, we have a vision to see the kingdom come here, near and far. It's about being part of a local family. That's what he talks about. He doesn't talk about the church in Macedonia. He talks about the generosity of the churches in Macedonia, the local churches. And we have to be so careful here at the same time that we don't fall into dead religion. Because here's what, religion loves rules and can't cope with values. It does. Religion loves 10%, but grace loves no limits. And I hear people saying, I'd be more generous if I had more money. No, you would. You have to choose with what you have today and how to be generous now. You'll never have enough money. I don't. You won't. You have to choose with whatever you have to learn to be generous and learn to be generous now. Are you with me? You've got to start somewhere. To be honest, I don't care about the 10%. Start somewhere. 6%, 5%. Grace sets us free to live completely in a different radical place. That's what it does. You see, money flows from vision, but it flows from grace. And here's the thing. Most of us don't give, not because we're selfish. I don't believe that. Most of you don't give here, not most of you. Some people that don't give here, and people that don't give at all, people that are not generous, it's not that they're selfish, it's just that you're scared. You're scared. I've been there. I know it. The question is, do I trust the Father what he asks of me? Do I trust? Do I trust? So let me give you some practical pointers and then we're really, really done. Number one, simple but it's really important, fight God into your finances. Step one, talk to God about your money. You talk to him about all this stuff and I know you think about money. We all do. We all talk about it. 
Ask him to lead you in it. Ask him to speak to you about it. Don't, don't, and don't allow me to, to actually try and manipulate or anything. I don't want to do that this morning. This should be guilt-free. But I want you to ask the Father what you should do about that. Second thing, budget your giving. Budget your giving. It's easy to hide and say I'm generous. You know, I, I've done that. Here's, here's some of the stuff I did. And I called myself generous. And I wasn't generous. I wouldn't give to a local church, right? But I thought I was Johnny Big Potatoes. When I saw a homeless man in Belfast, went in and bought him a sandwich and a drink and a giveaway sporadically. That's not being generous. Here's what generosity is. Generosity is actually being a good steward with your money and consistently budgeting to see where you're giving. So if you're actually generous, here's what I'd do. Write down all that, you, all that comes in, write in all that goes out and see where you're being generous with your money. To say that you're generous because you feed the homeless every now and then or do you give to a need, it's actually about consistent, consistent generosity, about stewarding. That's what the kingdom is all about, stewarding our influence and stuff that we have. Does that make sense? Does it? Do you want me to labor on that a bit more? Finally, I want, you to, uh, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider prioritizing giving to Vineyard Church Dungannon. I do. I want you to, and if you can't do that, guys, in all seriousness, if you can't give to your own family, and if, you, and if, it's, a, if it's an issue of trust, then, then find somewhere where you can give. Because that's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a discipleship moment. It's a discipleship issue. It's, it's, it's about, now, please don't let this be loaded with guilt or anything else. Let this be a grace thing. But, but you have to be free enough. You have to be free enough so that you can actually give to your local church. And I'm asking you to prioritize at some point, not some point actually, as soon as, given to VCD. Uh, and I know, again, a lot of you give to other things, me too. But hey, if this is your home, if this is your home, then, then try that. Are we okay? You got through it? This stand. I used to hate giving these talks. You know, when I knew it was coming up, I would be. But not anymore, because we love the talks we live, right? And once you experience and live something, then it's okay. You love that. We're all like that, human beings, aren't we? We're all, we all love the talks we live. It's like, you know, you've got your prayer life sorted out, and you've actually portioned some time of your week to, to pray, and then I get up here and talk about prayer, and you're like, yes! Tell them to pray more. But the person who's not struggling with prayer, they're like, shut up. So we love what we live, but we just need to learn to live in the, in the kingdom, heart of surrender and generosity towards God as people here, near and far. So I'm going to do something kind of different this morning from the conversation. I just want to pray for the thing that's been on my mind. It's just was working through this talk this week. It's just, I just want to break fear off of people's lives and it's more than it's the, the thing about money. It's 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 a heart connection and stuff. But I, could I pray for you this morning that as we go into Easter time, or Easter time, Christmas time, the number of people that get riddled with fear and anxiety over this season in life is just it's just crazy. And there's no need to be. There's no need to be. God does not want you to live anxiously. The ravens, the flowers, and anxiety. He wants you to be. Free from anxiety. So I'm going to pray for you. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, and then we'll, we're done.
the opposite of faith isn't belief. I've always said this, the opposite of, of faith is fear.